Somebody's got to do it, right? So here's a uh, here's a little purple or lavender pen. It's royal. It's it worked. And uh, and a little Kovatis pad. And uh, you'll notice in the bowl our little folded up prayers. So we're gonna we're gonna pass the uh, pass the bowl around. We start with Marianne. Not that she needs more prayer than the rest of us. But if traditionally, as well as biblically, God makes it clear that He hears the prayers of His people at that place. So, if you'd like Rebecca to take your prayer, roll it up, and shove it in a cleft of the rock, as it were, she has uh, graciously offered to take no less and no more than 200 prayers. So, um, do the best you can there. Colby Foster's mom is, uh, they found no cancer in her body, her last check. Everybody say, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Well done. Joshua has a new job, but Joshua's not here. But Baruch Hashem! <laughs> Who has one? <laughs> Mary has bought her first car. It drives very slowly. It's on the driveway there. Turns out that it has tinted windows, tinted rear lights. It's one of those macho cars. Yeah. Ashlyn Wright is getting married on the morrow. Her brother and her sister are there. I have to make sure I get that right. Um, which means that since Grace is there, Michaela is solo in Jerusalem. So if you want to you know, call Jerusalem, my watch actually does Jerusalem time if you hold down the top right button for three seconds. So. Um, try not to attack him. Brian uh, is here, uh, Lori's father, 
visiting right. uh, Ryan. visiting his grandson. I'm trying to get him to move here. That's right. That's right. And I think that's it for our announcements. Other than. Marion, just one piece of paper, okay? I have okay. Just check. <laughs> so today is the 22nd of February, the 22nd of Adar 1, and the 22nd Torah portion, which I don't think ever happens uh, at all. Probably once in a lifetime. So here it is, 22, 22, 22. So, the to assemble. Next week, we read about it. Uh, we read about it, what, a week or two ago, about the shekel, the half-shekel tax, as it were, uh, for the upkeep of the uh, Mishkan, and that is uh, actually done next week, Shabbat Shekelim. So, in, uh, in this week's Torah portion, we have uh, a couple of things. We have, we have a guy who has been endowed with an incredible talent and skill to be able to make stuff that is incredible. Uh, I just want to try and bring you some perspective. I know Jerry Wright will be able to appreciate this perspective. I purchased a handmade pistol. Handmade. Well, it's by Boberg Arms, but I don't think that's really important. Um, the, the point is that they made it from nothing. They made it from scratch. Someone had to make each piece of the pistol. The bore, the receiver, trigger mechanism, hammer, and so on. It took nine months to make my pistol. About this big. As you read through the Torah portion this week, one guy is pouring and molding out of solid stuff and hammering it the furniture for an entire room, an entire building. An amazing task. An amazing task. So we've got Beit Salel and we've got a Holiav. One guy from a very high family. I mean, tribe of Judah, top shelf, right? King comes from that one. And Aholiav, who comes from the tribe of Dan. Dan. Kind of the bottom shelf. I mean, you go through the wilderness, who's got the lost and found? Dan. Why? It's at the back of the line. Is this somebody's sweater? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I thought it would be perhaps instructional if we were just to take a moment not a long time but just a moment to talk about the difference between what God has commanded and the people did here versus what most of us grew up to do for example we have a dwelling place for God. It's called... What's it called? It's called the Mishkan. In English, that would be the tabernacle. Later, we have the temple, which Solomon built, and we read about in... Uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. 
First Kings 11. 40 to 50. First Kings 7. First Kings 7. With Hiram. Hiram was the guy just like uh, Bethsalel, maybe. Okay. So, and maybe, maybe you could help me. When I was growing up, I was taught that when my foot hit the first step inside the church building, I had to do what? Take my hat off. Why? Reverence. Reverence. Respect for the pastor? No, no, no. The building. The building. Why? What was it called? The house of God. We were in the house of God. Is that really the house of the Lord? No. No, it's not. It's not. So, we won't go through motive today. Not really concerned about that, but I just want to try and draw some parallels. Right? So the house of God is really not the brick building on the corner of this street and that street. How about the offering we see here? There was an offering brought. That offering... Give me just a second. It's the, it's the, it's the lead-in. It's it's, yeah. <laughs> that offering that was brought, was it commanded? No. No. Who was supposed to give? Whoever's heart was moved. Whoever's heart was moved or whose spirit felt like he should. Was there an amount implied that they should give? The sages say that the leaders should be rebuked in this offering. Why? Because they waited till everybody else gave. They waited till the end, which I personally have done, and I know other men in this room have done. Why would a leader wait till the end to give? He can pick up the slack. Everybody give. And you know, we use little things like there's scholarship money that's been given to cover whoever can't, you know, whatever. But the whole idea would be that the leaders normally would step back, allow the people to give, and then they'll make up whatever it is. And in this case, the sages rebuke them because the faith of the people was overwhelming and the response was such that Something happened that I've never seen happen in any church building in all my days. What do they have to do? Stop. Tell them to stop. stop. Please, please don't give anymore. Please stop giving. What are we going to do with all this money? What are we going to do with all this stuff? <laughs> Holy cow. Well, not really. <laughs> I, I will share a, uh, a personal testimony. This is many, many years ago. I'm still in the church. I'm actually a youth pastor. And I didn't know that about you. Okay. <laughs> well, you need to come, okay. you need to come well, drink wine with me more often. You learn I would know these things. Uh, oh, my goodness. So, my wife and I are youth pastors at this small church. We've taken our youth group to a summer camp, like all good Christian youth pastors do. Absolutely. Uh, but. It, there was so, so we're in the evening chapel service, you know, um, and you know the chapel probably probably can hold I don't know two three hundred people, and it was standing room only, and um, and you know so it was great worship service, and 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 it, there was just something unique about the service, and it and at the point where they would take up the offering, like all, all good churches, all, exactly, you know. What was really interesting in that service was um, the hearts of the kids were, were was moved 
and I hadn't seen it before. I haven't seen it since. Um, that these these are these are kids. These are you know um, from twelve to you know eighteen or something like that. So uh, young adults. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, they 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 the way they did the offering in this particular service was rather than pass a plate, they just had a couple bowls up um, at the at the base of the platform, and you walk up, put your offering in it. Ah, okay. And so, um, so they get to this point in the service, and you know, the, the God had moved on the hearts of the kids to the point where they get up, and everybody—I don't think there was anybody still seated. So almost everybody participated. They got up, walked up, and kids are putting in their, you know, their, their concession stand money and their money for the go karts, and you know, and they're putting in all that kind of stuff, and then. People start dropping in watches and rings wow. and stuff like that, and it was really, really interesting. But it reminded me of this, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, it was cool. Yeah. And like you say, it's, it's not normal to see that kind of spirit right. in the church, and certainly not that kind of receptiveness yeah. of the church leaders. So, what motivate that? No, no. Why would we have? Such an odd parallel in our culture that seems to be a shallow mirror or parallel of what we read about here. What's what's the idea? Theologically, the building, like pledges, the pledges to build, you know, all that. Even even the offering, you know, and whatnot. I mean, I think part of it is that because of you're not very tied to a building, a church, as you would have been with this. There was only going to be one built. Okay. There wasn't one on every corner. So yeah. it's like when you contributed, that was it forever, basically, in your mind. Mm-hmm. But as opposed to now, it's kind of like, well, yeah, maybe you contribute to a building fund, but then something happens, and later you might move because of your job or might go to another church and so it's or they put in the wrong color carpet which I hate can you oh, oh sorry church this is but there's not there's no I don't know it's just it's not the same uh, contribution like you, you don't feel as tied to it nowadays as you did as you would have with this so, I agree with you but now it's now. So, are you tied to the chair you're sitting in? Are you tied to this room? Or what are you tied to right now? The people. The people. And we call that community. Community. That's what's different. Is that in most churches, it's a congregation. Do you know what a congregation is? It's nothing more than a group of people. Who's that? Did you see that? Nice. Well done. It's nothing more than a group of people. It's an assembly. But here we have a community, and they had a community. In fact, they were all family. And that sometimes is good or bad, especially if you're Italian. Okay. Other generic comments on this portion? Sir. 
Was that you burping or was that him? Uh, I'm just burping. So I'm shaking my arms and it touches my tummy. Um, <laughs> what I've discovered in my reflection is the fact that these were the slaves of Egypt. And when the slaves were commanded, you agree? Yeah. Uh, the slaves were commanded to take in the spoils of Egypt. And so they very shortly had those possessions with them as they traveled, of course, Aaron's problem was it all jumped off of the people and then threw it in the fire and out came the calf. Don't you hate yeah. But I think the rest of it is is that they were able to still be stewards of those treasures. Sure. And the marvelous mystery is how did all those people get all the right things from across Egypt to bring with them? Exactly right. Especially the guys that had to bring those big, big, long poles. Yeah, those pieces of wood. Mm -hmm. I'm serious. Yeah. All right, we're in we're in the desert, right? This what this pole is like sixty feet long. Yeah, you know, left. Remember, it's got to be left first. We got to walk out of step. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. What else? So I'm sorry. Are we still looking for the why? Do we do? No, I think we know why. I think we know why. I think that ultimately, whether it's Catholicism, Presbyterianism, Baptist, whatever it may be, there's still this sense of a supersessionist or replacement deal. We've got to make a copy. So, there you go. Comment. Yes. I wasn't just stretching. I, I was going to wait just to see. Uh, I guess I might go back to the church slash community thing um, because I totally agree that I think we're here because of the community. And I would have to say in the many years I was at, the mega churches I was at, I didn't go because that building looked beautiful. I didn't go because of the 3,000 people in the congregation. I went because of my community of so-called Sunday school okay. where I was a leader. So what drove me to go back to church every Sunday and be part of that was that community of those people because we were 50 of 3,000 people. Yeah. I didn't know I didn't know 75% of those people in church. Right. Uh, but but I didn't know, my, I did know my community. Okay, I'll grant you that. And I agree with you. It would be the same thing. You're only going for the folks that you're going to spend that first hour with. And then you're going to go into the greater hall, if you will, and, and have some type of worship. Public worship experience. Money giving. And one of the things they never did kill an animal. Not even once. One of the things that we talked about at our Shabbat table last night was how it's one of the, another difference between the two is that this isn't necessarily community. It's like what we did last night, what you guys did last night. Like right. When somebody has a baby and we give them, you know, bring them meals and stuff like that and help people move and have a Bible study on Tuesday nights for the men to just sharpen each other like yes. all of that equals community it's yeah. not just like that once every two weeks or exactly. once a week thing exactly or I would go so far as to say it's when you have uh, prayer time with your brother-in-law on Friday mornings yeah or when you are sitting playing chess with my son it's it's the times that we get together not on the regular day this is this to me is a beautiful thing 
I mean, the fact that we deliberately put ourselves in a position where we must have a certain level of people, certain level number of men, that we're, we're joining ourselves to greater Israel and following a tradition that they've had for so long. And on a day like that, this guy gets a chance to read from the Torah. Who else? Who else read from me? All right. This guy gets to read from the Torah. This is a public reading of God's word in a, in a way that just doesn't happen. It's cool. Cool. I was going to say, and probably I know I've heard a lot of other men say it, it's like this is the first time in our lives where our church friends or actually our hangout friends or actually our study friends or actually are yeah like need something when you're sick friends yeah. or actually like it's all it's, it's all amazing together. isn't it's it all the same person. it really is you know and, and greg upman would tell us the only thing that's better than this is if we were all within walking distance of each other amen amen, amen. Yeah. see now and he's infected her she's got all right But Yaquel, yes, we can open the door. You want to open the front door too? You want to sit the baby next to the cold door? He's a hot, he's a hot baby. <laughs> he's a warm baby. Okay, good, we're good, we're good. Okay. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and started to talk. The, uh, the nasty little truth that most people don't catch until after they've been in this walk for some time is the bias in the translation into English uh, in our apostolic scriptures. So the word for congregation in this first verse assembled is Vayakel, um, which comes from the root Kahal, which is a gathering of people. It does not necessarily have a religious significance. The congregation word there is Edat. And we'll get one more word, right? Edat. Edat, Kahal, and in there a third one? Kahal and Adat. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Ecclesia. Oh, in the Greek. That's good. Yeah, right. Like a so, uh, family. Like so when they're starting a gathering of them, right? So like children, children, of of the children of Israel. Yeah. Yeah, so. But Adat and, uh, and Kahal is the gathering or the congregation or the group. And if you look at the Septuagint, these words are translated a lot of times as ecclesia and synagogue would be the word for where they're gathering there is no word church it's not there kirchen from the German is not this word and the truth be told especially um, I guess James chapter 2 Anybody got a real Bible? Got the whole thing? No. Um, 
Head over to James chapter 2. I believe you're all familiar with this. James chapter 2 and verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your... What do you have? Assembly. 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 And a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. And you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say such and such. That is the word synagogue. In the Greek text. So he comes into the synagogue. He comes into your synagogue. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, Lee Cow, that's not going to work with the normal Christendom stuff. So, hold that thought. And tell me, what's the synagogue in the days of the Master? And we got the temple, that's in Jerusalem, and he would go up at least, how many times a year? Guaranteed. Three times a year. Why? Because he was without sin. That's the that's the answer to that question. Why? Because he was without sin. That means he was perfectly obedient. That means, and now you can bring in the scripture to say, the men were commanded to do the pilgrimage feasts and go to Yerushalayim. That's why. So we know that for sure. Probably a few other times. We know he was there on Hanukkah. Absolutely. John chapter 10. That's right. So, when you read about the Prushim of the Pharisees, and they're following him through a field, and they complain to him. Hey, wait a second. What were they complaining about? Your disciples. Your disciples are doing what? Picking. Plucking. Plucking. Plucking some grain. Rubbing it between their hands and eating it. That's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Don't miss the point. Of who is saying that? It's the Pharisees. But where are they? They're with him. They're with Yeshua, watching his disciples. They are following him, and he's not in Jerusalem. He's in the little towns up in the Galilee, Capernaum, in a field, in In the corners of the field. Right. I mean, they're not in Jerusalem. So what did what was? His habit, as the scriptures teach us, to do on Sunday. I mean, sorry, <laughs> on the Sabbath. What was his habit? He would go to the synagogue, synagogue, and he would he would he would pray, and he would read the scriptures. They publicly read the scriptures, and not unlike what we do here. By the way, that reference in the apostolic scriptures is the oldest written record of what a first century Torah service was like. When they handed him the scroll of Isaiah and opening it to the right spot, he read and sat down. Because they taught sitting down. He was in the synagogue. That's interesting. It's The scriptures tell us it's a synagogue, but only during the Gospels. After that, we're not doing any synagogue stuff. And yet, if you read it in Greek, we are. We are. Nothing's changed. It's because the word 
Because, because of the word synagogue or ecclesia, it's exactly right. It's just a gathering. It never was a building. It was a gathering. Yes? What, what's cool about this first verse... Um, are you in James 2 or are you in... I'm in the Torah. Thank you. Exodus. Uh, Hit your left, left go back button and you should be in Exodus 35. Oh, I'm sorry. So you have Vayachel, uh, which is the root word Kahal, we already talked about that. Um, Moses assembled Kahal, um, all of the congregation, the Adat. And what's interesting about the word Adat, it, it has connections to the same root as. Um, uh, uh, it, like when we say lelam uh, va'ed va'ed for you know for uh, forever like yes. eternal that ed edat adat it's the same root it's meaning it means the eternal congregation cool so Moshe gathers he assembles the eternal congreg- congregation of the sons of Israel really kind of cool that is what's even cooler is the parallel that we have here. So we all know that Moshe is a type of Messiah, right? Moshe just came down from the mountain, Har Sinai, the mountain, right? And he brought with him what? The word of God. First or second set? Second set. Second set of tablets. He's coming down, okay? There's a there's a there's a cool parallel here. Because Moshe is a type of Messiah. We also know that Messiah, John chapter 1, is um, the word of God made flesh. So the tablets also are sort of a um, representation of, I mean, they are the word of God, right? And Yeshua is also the living word of God. So you have an interesting parallel here where Moshe came, went up the first time, got the first set of tablets, comes down and the tablets are broken when he sees the sin of the people and we have the whole golden calf thing right that was last week just like Mashiach when he came down the first first time he was broken why because of the sin of the people that's a direct quote from Isaiah and then we have the whole golden calf thing then Hashem speaks to Moshe and he says look carve out two more tablets and and schlep back up here <laughs> so he ascends so the two new tablets and they ascend back up to the top of the mountain the parallel there being a picture of the word um, being resurrected as it were right the tablets coming back and going back up the mountain and now we have Moshe again a picture of Messiah coming down the second time with um, with two new tablets two new um, uh, you know two new tablets with the word and what's the first thing that he does when he gets here right here he assembles the eternal congregation of the sons of Israel. What is it? And what, what's one of the key reasons why 
traditional Judaism today does not believe Yeshua is the Messiah? Because they say he didn't gather the exiles. Well, when did Moshe gather the people? The first time or the second time? Second. The second time. In fact, the first time they scattered. Right? So the, 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 what's cool about this portion is we see the Messiah gathering the eternal sons of Israel at his second, second. time he comes down. Amen. Right? And <clears throat> there's a tradition that says when, he, when Moses came down with the second set of tablets, he came down on what day? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Uh, which is a, a day of judgment, right? It culminates a period, you know, leading up, you know, uh, several days of judgment, but Yom Kippur is kind of the final day of judgment, as it were. Which, from other passages, we know that when Messiah comes back, he judges the nations, he gathers... His people. His people. Um, but what's cool is, what is he doing here? He gathers them, and then what does he tell? What's the commandment that he gives them? Remember the Sabbath. He said, right, you remember the Sabbath, so there's there's some discussion there. But but then the whole rest of this portion is him giving, is him... Building the temple. He, come, he gathers them. He says, now, remember, remember the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. Now build the temple. Build the tabernacle. What is the parallel? Messiah will gather his people and that's when the temple will be rebuilt. And, one just a little to tie it to the tradition, what's the tradition we have at the end of Yom Kippur? What are we supposed to do when we break fast? We immediately start construction on the sukkah. What is the tabernacle? It's, it's the sukkah of Hashem, which is why we have, which is why we have Bezalel, whose name means in the shadow of El, in the shadow of the Almighty, because when we sit in a sukkah, we're, it's like we're sitting under the wings of the Almighty, right, in his shadow. And Ocheliav, whose name means my father's tent. So he, Mo, Moses returns on Yom Kippur the second time, assembles the eternal congregation of the sons of Israel, commands them to start construction on the sukkah, and yet, even on our own halakha to this very day, we rehearse that every, every year. year. Every Amen. Year. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Before you go, I'm, I'm big on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah. And, that's big. You know, what the sages say, the first thing that Messiah is going to do after he gathers his people is reiterate he will and reestablish the sanctity of the Sabbath, yes. of the big tent. Let's see. Don't sleep with somebody. Don't steal. Don't kill. Of the big ten, what's really the only one that the professing church today does not do? Number four. They don't keep the Sabbath. Actually, doesn't the voice say remember? Or Shamar. Shamar. But they don't even remember. Well, well, some of them remember, especially when they bumped to us at Harris Teeter on Sunday. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, ironic. Yeah. Yeah, but that was great. And I, I think to the, to the sages, right, be the glory here, yes. in that they see these parallels between Moses and Messiah. And as Gentiles, present company excluded, 
as Gentiles, we need to recognize these parallels are in fact the case with Messiah Yeshua. And the Sabbath is important to God and remains so. So, Colossians 2.12, let no one be your judge when it comes to a Sabbath or new moon, what food to eat. Yeah, that's for us to use, not them. Right. Touching on something that you said with one of the, um, it's often said that anti-missionaries will say, well, Yeshua can't be the Messiah because he didn't fulfill everything that we know that the Messiah is supposed to do. Um, and one of the things they'll point to is Yeshua was supposed to come and, well, the Messiah is supposed to come and rebuild Israel. But instead, when Yeshua came a couple years later, Israel was completely demolished. But even that has its parallels with Joseph. The first time that the, his brothers come to him, it results in heartache for Jacob and for the brothers, which is what causes them to come back eventually the second time. And same thing with Moses. And Hebrew, or, um, 2 Corinthians 3 picks up on this, that when Moses descended the first time from the mountain, it resulted in death for many, many Israelites, and so they all ended up dying by the sword. But so the first coming of both of these men, who are both Messianic figures, Joseph and Moses, one, um, Joseph really being an amazing parallel, he's accepted by all the the goy, the Gentiles in Egypt. His brothers don't recognize him. He looks like one. Sounds like one. For all intents and purposes, he is one, according to his brothers. He's just some Gentile and he causes heartache for them. But the second time around, he causes rejoicing. Mm-hmm. So likewise, Moses, the first time he descends, causes much heartache, but the second con- time causes rejoicing. And so we should expect and it to be the same way with Yeshua. And in both cases, it was because of their sin. Right. It had nothing to do with the Messiah figure. And the Talmud even talks about, well, what's the difference between the first temple and the second temple? Well, the second temple was filled with corruption and murder, and that's why it was destroyed. So the Talmud itself acknowledges why there was destruction. It wasn't because of a failed Messiah. Right. It was because of the sin of the people. Exactly. But the second time was different. Yeah. I think that if you're ever dealing with a, a Jew who knows the Torah, that you should definitely bring up Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David and get him to acknowledge that there's at least two messiahs that the scriptures speak of very clearly. Maybe it's not just two messiahs, but one messiah who comes twice. It could be a different guy. To add on to this, um, another thing, and another verse anti-missionaries pick on the, the actual scriptures is when Yeshua says, don't think I came to raise priests. I did not come to raise priests for a sword. And so that's completely contrary to everything that you know, we expect the messiah. Um, besides supposed to bring peace, world peace, you know, be swords and cautious, etc. But as Taylor said, when the first when Moses first came down the hill, sword. to get peace, there's a sword. That's right. Yeah. That's good. Little fist bump in the corner. Good. Comment <laughs> yeah. One thing that's very interesting is you know that uh, the Sabbath was sort of transitioned to the day of the sun or Sunday, and it was by the Gentiles. Yes. Yeah. And of course, in Spanish, it's domingo. Sure. Or in, in Saturday would be sábado, the right. seventh day. Right. Same in Italian. Yeah. And what's interesting is when Yeshua comes back, here they did this to honor him, but he'll be doing the reverse. Exactly. It's really sad that a lot of the things that were done in order to quote unquote 
honor Messiah Yeshua um, actually undermine his, his specific focus. And that's not to say that the people had an ulterior motive. That's not to say that they deliberately did this. Many of them didn't do it that way. I don't think anybody in this room did that for those reasons. But the scripture is very clear that the prophets, the priests, and the teachers are held to a very high standard, much higher than the people, because they can lead people astray. And we can keep reading in James, and we're about to bump into that, I think, in chapter 3, right? That the teachers have um, a higher uh, judgment due them because they can lead folks astray. Matthew chapter 5, the master makes it clear. Blessed are you if you keep my commandments and teach others to do so. Least in the kingdom are you if you don't keep my commandments and you teach others to do the same. So, good, good, good. Well done, well done. So, what, what is the answer for, for the folks that we know practicing in today's professing church? The visible church. What's, what's the answer? For the Sabbath? He's startled. Yeah, he startled me too. <laughs> Jumping jacks, ready, begin. For, for the Sabbath? Or for, what's the question? for everything we just talked about and the fact that there seems to be a disconnect between the biblical record the biblical mandate versus church practice. What's the answer? How does that get fixed? By the way, Messiah comes is a true statement and is a good answer, but it's not the right answer right now. <laughs> yes? I, I think, and I mentioned this, I think, the first uh, time I attended a meeting, which was on Hanukkah at the Wright's house, that Hegel talked about three stages to a process of learning. That there's thesis, which is what's in the Torah. Th there's antithesis, which is what's happening right now, where there's a separation between Judaism and people that were Jewish or mixed with Romans and Greeks that love something different. But then there'll be synthesis again when Yeshua comes back. And what you're really talking about is leading to that synthesis. You're there. You're basically there. But it's for everyone else to be there. And when everyone else is there, and of course... Groups like this are facilitators to make that happen. Then Yeshua will be there. But it's really up to us to do it. But I think that's the answer. Waiting on Messiah is going to happen. And it will fix the problem. But in the meantime, the answer to the question is to look in the mirror. We are the answer to that. We're the ones. We're the ones that facilitate that synthesis. We're the ones that have to share with friends and neighbors. And unfortunately, family members. Mm -hmm. and just keep beating that drum gently to say hmm and ouch okay. probably not it's coming it's not in its condition we used to put rubber bumpers on the corner when the little ones were out so the I have trouble so much first of all I don't feel Qualified. No one's better. No one's I better have, qualified than you yeah. because I, you know the truth. I have trouble with the gentle part at some point. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to the wrong person <laughs> about, <laughs> about, about the point, gentle part. My Italian gets up and all bets are right. Yeah. And I so and I recognize immediately that this is not good. 
So you're, I'm with you. I know. Trust me, I feel your pain. Everyone here knows that I'm a gentle, quiet person. <laughs> yeah, what are you like? <laughs> so what's the answer? And I think the answer, Marianne, is to go back to the sages. What was the regular, routine teaching method of the sages? What did they do? What did the master do? Ask questions. He asked questions. So we don't have to go in there and be the top shelf scholar. We just need to ask the really, really cool questions. questions. Yeah. Okay. So I'm reading here so many times that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath. And I'm reading so many more times that the Sabbath is the seventh day. And on every calendar I find, regardless of what language it's in, the seventh day is always Saturday. So why are we here on Sunday? I think that's a good question. Yeah, it and, is. And, and for you and what happened? and for you and me, <laughs> I you I want to ask anyway. it and I do ask it, but I just I guess I wish maybe the response would be different. I don't know. Just well, <laughs> well, let me help it. Let me, let me help it. Let me help it. The answer to your concern is that you're probably thinking you're dealing with the person to whom you asked the question. Hmm. But that's not the key. Because I'm dealing with um, it's, other... It's everybody other else. You ask oh. the question in a public forum uh -huh. to someone who's in authority. Uh -huh. You're not going to sway him. But that's she's listening. She's listening. And she's saying to herself, you know, I asked my husband that just the other day. You know, I asked Sally that when we were in Harris Teeter. And I don't, I haven't talked to anyone who's got a good answer yet. So she's going to come up to you afterwards. Because you can forget about the guy up there with the microphone. Yeah. You're not going to get the answer out of him, but you're going to plant that seed. Gentlemen. Oh. I just realized what it was then. It's fear because I am afraid of the guy with the microphone. Right. Forget the guy with the microphone. Forget, yeah. forget the guy with the microphone. Yeah. I mean, that's not why we're here. We're here for everybody else. And... The judgment, according to James and several of the passages in the Torah, is on him. You don't need to worry about him. You're first because you got the time. Very cool. Thank you very much. Um, I was going to mention it, it's it's hard sometimes because the the Greek way of thinking, according to Rabbi Daniel Appen, has great teaching about that. But it's it's so much more intellectual versus the Hebraic action, like we we do things. Yeah. And so because of our because our faith. Is so action oriented. Sometimes it's hard to get into the the verbal and kind of like theoretical kind of conversations. A little sparring back and forth. Exactly, because it's like you're they're two different categories, two different approaches. And we left that. Right, and, but I think Yeshua answers it perfectly in John thirteen thirty five. He says that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Mm -hmm. And th that is what causes people to ask the questions to us instead of having to be the ones asking the questions. Which, uh, I remember that quote from, from you, Mrs. Epham, something like, it's easier to like act your way to different thinking than it is to like think your way to different acting. And that's so true. But once somebody bothers to ask, not necessarily out of wanting to start a an argument or a confrontation, but out of like a, what do you do this for? You know, that kind of thing. Like, I'm really curious, but everybody says this is weird. That's when now we have right. an opportunity where it's like... Now you're on easy street. Exactly, because the action 
facilitated the the conversation. Sure. Versus right. like yeah, as Greg would say, you're witnessing point out. and trying not to talk. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you have actually been asked more questions about your faith ever since Keith and the Torah? Oh. I mean, it's, it's over the top, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. before you're just another Baptist. <laughs> One second, I, I got to ask the guy here who's got absolutely great taste in shirts. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just. Um, one one quick uh, one quick aside on the, the seventh day. Yes. Uh, Rabbi Lapin has a great a great teaching where he he breaks down the um, he takes the ten commandments and he says now don't you know that it's not just ten individual commandments it's actually five pairs and so on the one tablet is five commandments that govern our relationship with God. And it's paired with a commandment that governs our relationship with men. men. And so he gets to the fourth commandment on the first tablet, which of course is remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And it's paired with the uh, ninth <coughs> commandment. Eighth. I'm sorry, the eighth commandment, which is don't bear false witness. Don't bear false witness. Ninth. It's ninth. It's the ninth. Yeah. It's the ninth. Yes. Fourth and fifth. Ninth, I beg your pardon. Yes. Ninth. Um, that was about to go. That whole thing is in the toilet there. Don't bear false witness. So, so it's paired with don't bear false witness. So he says, what's the connection? What's the connection between remembering the Sabbath and not bearing false witness? And he, and he gives this little, uh, little story. He says, envision for a moment, if you were appointed king of your own little kingdom, your own little society, okay, um, your society needs a calendar on which to function. So if you could create your own calendar, how would you do it? And he says, well, if you think about it logically, you're probably, you're probably not going to change the year. You're going to stick to a solar year because that's a natural, you know, a natural phenomenon. You know, the, the earth goes around the sun in a year, and so it just works. So you're probably not going to change that. You're probably not going to change the month either because that's tied to the lunar cycle and that just, it's natural and it works. What are you going to do for a week? There's no reason at all to have a seven day work week. It's not tied to any natural phenomena that has anything to do with celestial bodies or astronomical movements. What, why would you, why would you pick a seven day work week? In fact, if there's 365 days in a solar year, roughly 30 days in a lunar month, why wouldn't you pick like a five-day week so it divides evenly and you don't have leap days and leap years and this and that, or a 10-day week, you know? Why wouldn't you do that? That's the logical thing to do. And in fact, if you look back through history, there have been times throughout history where certain civilizations have attempted to actually move off of a seven-day work week. The Romans tried to move to a 10-day work week. Didn't. It failed. In the last century, the Russians tried to convince the League of Nations, predecessor to the UN, they also tried to convince the League of Nations to get everybody to move to a, I think it was a five-day week, yeah. and were unsuccessful. And there's, there's probably been other attempts throughout history as well. The connection is, the reason we have a seven-day week is only because God said so. And the seventh day of the seventh seven day week is the Sabbath because God said so. And, it's and if you try to change language. it, or if you try to say otherwise, you are bearing false witness against the very Creator. So, 
that to me was just a really cool idea, you know? That's uh, because there's no reason. There's no reason for that. There's no reason to have a seven day week. Inexplicable. Except that God said so. And we remember that in the creation story. Outstanding. Yes, ma'am. I just want to think about a little bit what Gregory said when he's talking about love. You know, it's like what you feel said. Greg and I, we like to read H.com uh, a lot, and we uh, go through Rabbi Fiskin. And he's, he's excellent. And he was talking about, well, why do you fall out of love? Why do you fall out of obeying the mitzvahs? Why do you fall out of, you know, you can't really fall out of love. Why do you get divorced? And he was going through different things of marriage. Then he was going through relationships. And then he was going, well, why don't we do the mitzvahs? Why do we fall out of doing this? And this might just tie in what we were saying. Well, why wouldn't the church or, you know, the people that are not Messianic or, you know, Jewish, why would they not keep the Sabbath? Well, he used the word indifference. Hmm. And he said, it's indifference. That's the culprit. It's not because you begin to hate your wife or your husband. It's not because you begin to hate God or what he said to do. It becomes indifference. And probably through the course of the centuries, I think that's what started happening. People were falling back, who was doing this, and then every, you know, I think the raw meat of, of the Torah and, and the, the ten words was indifference. Hmm. That's good. That's so good. It sounds like there are two different processes that are going on. There's the process of indifference where people would fall away. Then there's that process of antithesis where deliberately something was being created to be different from Judaism. And as you probably know from history, that people were accused of Judaizing if they were doing traditions from the Old Testament that were considered antithetical to the church. So, but that's very important when you mentioned that idea of indifference because it's sort of like a slow death. You yeah, don't really notice exactly. it. Mm -hmm. Just kind of happens. Yeah, exactly. So you look in the mirror and you say, oh "My gosh, I'm indifferent." Mm -hmm. So if we, uh, <laughs> just as a, a, a quick tie-up historically, <coughs> if we look and see why Christian people worship on Sunday, it is a deliberate attempt to be other than Jews. Yeah. It's as simple as that. There's no other way to paint it. It has nothing to do with taxes. It has nothing to do with your height, weight, none of that. It's just, I don't want to look Jewish. And in fact, the Catholics in the beginning came out with laws. If you keep the Sabbath, we'll kill you. Now, that's a little tough. That's a little harsh, I'd say. But that's the beginnings of the faith from which we drew ourselves from. So... What's interesting is Moses said, if you don't keep the Sabbath, then we'll, we'll kill you. And the church says, if you do, do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you keep kosher yes, and the whole so thing. <laughs> I got you, then I got you. Either yes, way, you're dead. That's right. <laughs> Host. Done. Yes. My quick comment was for Marianne because she's like, I say something and I don't understand why they don't get it or anything like that. And my point, I've been a salesman for 22 years and, the, and all I try to do is change somebody's habit. And that's what we're trying to do here. And what is the hardest thing to do for a human being is to change their habits. So many will my cheese. Yeah. So like like my 75-year-old mother, I can talk to her blue in the face, and she goes, yeah, you're right. This is really cool. This is great. This is great. Okay, Mom, what are you going to do? Nothing. Because they're not going to change their habit. That's right. Unless they're... You know, kicked in the head, but that to me, that to me, that's the whole thing is nobody wants to change their habits that they've been involved in all their life. And if you don't have a relationship, the first response is 
Are you telling me that I've been lied to all yeah. my life? That's, That's exactly what she said. Yeah. And how do you have the same reaction I did? Yeah, let me give you, yeah, let me give you the scripture verse on that. Yeah. We've been yeah. lied by our former fathers. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Actually, Mom, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's tough. Yeah. It is tough. But again, we need to be, the people in this room need to be the ones that are simply expressing what we do and why. I agree with these men. It's often much easier if you're being asked than if you're just trying to push it. We don't need to push it. People are going to ask because you know what? Everybody out there is looking for something better than what they've got because everybody out there is unhappy. That's why churches are dwindling. That's why Christendom is gone in Europe. You go visit these massive cathedrals in Italy. And there's four people inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. I got you, I got you, but you were next. Okay, in Hispanic culture, the first day is going to be Monday. The seventh day is Sunday because it's the day you go to church. Because of the Spanish uh, influence on us, right? So the Spanish people, they were the ones that colonized us. So uh, it's because of the Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic, so that's part of their culture. It's the official religion is Catholic. My country, the official religion is Catholic. But Catholic churches, they have to change. They have been changing a lot. And they try to be like kind of Christian because of the worship and stuff like that. And that's why it's also hard to be uh, Jewish. We have like kind of anti-Semitism. Because we see the movies, we watch the movies, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, Jewish people were the ones who killed Yeshua. So um, being with all that tradition, you won't see like a lot of you uh, a lot of uh, messianic or Jewish communities, like large communities over there, because it's it's hard because of the tradition. So most part of the people work on on Shabbat, work on Saturday. So the really small communities, they are like okay, it's really hard. And when I started to attend the mess, my messianic congregation, we had the service on Saturday and Sunday because of the people. Cannot attend, cannot attend on, on Saturday. But now it's a because people in the in the company they start to understand that there is a free, that there there is freedom for for what you feel what you think. So okay, if you need a Saturday and you want to go come on Saturday to on Sunday to work, okay, it's up to you. Yeah. So but it's because of the of the tradition and it's a really strong tradition. And it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter whether you're in Italy. You know, Latin America, it doesn't matter. There's always traditions that are anti-God and anti-Jewish. We deal with what God plants us with. And we, and we work through it. I got you next, you're next. Oh, actually, so exactly what Lynn said. Um, How about that? Because I know in Latin American countries, the seventh day actually on their calendar actually is Sunday. But then if you talk to us, because that's when you say, well, how do you mean Saturday to Sabbath? Because this calendar, you know, these calendars vary. The next question to ask is, okay, so Sunday celebrated as the Lord's Day because that's when Yeshua rose, right? Yeah. Did he rise on Monday? So that's the first day of the week? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter, no matter how you look at it, <laughs> Saturday is the Sabbath. That's a fact. In every language, what is Saturday in Spanish? Yeah, there is, right? I mean, everybody knows it, but like Greg was saying, 
People try and torque it to try and have their own way. I love Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, The Sabbath, yeah. because it creates, it makes the Sabbath out to be not just another day on the calendar. Like it, it creates, sanctuary. Exactly. It creates so much of a different idea, like so much more so that you would want to, to keep it after coming sort of to the understanding that he does. And it's almost like out of creation, God creates all these things. Well, he also created the Sabbath. I mean, he, that was actually part of his creation, just like a tree and animals and everything. He did that deliberately. And it's, it's cool to, to actually think of it that way, that like every other day it wasn't necessarily, I mean, it was, just, it was established, you know, because of the time continuing, but Sabbath was actually created as a sanctuary, like you, you were saying. Sanctuary in time? You bet. Yes, just, just to tie it in, don't you think maybe it all started in the garden? Because everything that God was for, you know, you know, the, the serpent, you know, just tried to, you know, Satan just tried to stop everything that was anything that God had to do with. So the Sabbath was in the Lord way before the Sabbath even existed because he's God. So I just think it started way back then. There was a plan, you know, by the enemy to just make sure that as time went on, that something so sacred and so wonderful and so basis to everything was stopped. No, no, no question. We've had a problem since the beginning. Absolutely. Getting us back to the garden is going to be uh, a spectacular thing. But did you want to say something, or was he pointing at your baby? Yeah. No, I. Um, something that I real, I'm realizing. Uh, I got this revelation a few years back in the the, and um, the church that people are so people minded, you know. And what are the two commandments? commandments that Yahushua said um, that he narrowed them down to and it was love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself well they, they you know hone in on loving your neighbor and focusing on how I can please you and making sure I don't offend you and ruffle feathers and so forth even if it offends Elohim well I realize it's that look, just that slight twist that if we're serving him we're inherently going to take care of others. We're going to be kind. It is a commandment. It is required of us. So trying to, something that I've been trying to, when I'm able to speak to people, um, is bringing it back to what does he think? It's, it's a matter of, the, we know that it says in uh, Ecclesiastes, right, that it says, um, Yahuwah and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man mm -hmm. so going back to okay let's not uh, you know because I did the whole pagan pagan this thing for a while you know you kind of start there because you're like oh my god <coughs> everything is you know but then, I, then now I'm kind of in a place where I'm like okay let's scratch all that it's, it's relevant and it's real but what about serving him what does he think what you know? What happened to the first commandment, the greatest commandment? What happened to that? And so, you know, it's going to offend. It, it's going to offend. You know what I mean? But and even people, I've been told that that the that I watered down the cross, or I watered down what Yahushua did, and by my understanding of the scriptures. Sure. And um, but. But what, you know, it really comes down to what, who did he point to? 
So I think the approach maybe now is not about what I think or, or obviously we're not trying to be right because we're never going to be right. <laughs> but it's what does he think? Am I offending him? So and, let, know, me, let me rephrase what you're yeah. saying. Just so I can offend you. Sure. Um, so if you tell me what you think, I'll tell you that I don't care what you think. If you tell me this is what God thinks, I'll ask you what God said. And that's what we need to focus on, which is what she means. What God says. God defined love. And there it is. So, so if we concentrate on what God says, and we call a spade a spade, or whatever you want to put it, I'm from New York, that's how we put it. We will not offend him. Because what's our culture turning into? Political correctness. I, 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 can't, I can't say anything, do anything, because I might offend you. You know what? If I'm living the scriptures out, I will offend you. It's as simple as that. If you don't, and I do, you have to be offended. Right? Hang on. I got you. Stand by. Just to kind of reiterate uh, that point, you know, I've had conversations in, in the past with uh, with other messianics, um, quote unquote, uh, and I don't, I don't really like the term, but whatever. Uh, so, in this conversation, one one case in particular, it was approaching um, the. Yuletide season. Right? Oh, the Yuletide season. <laughs> and, uh, so, so this particular person and her family were getting, were getting ready to go, you know, to take a road trip back to visit family for sure. uh, for the festival. Right? <laughs> so, um, so they started to kind of kvetch a little bit because, like, you know, I've got to go home. And mom always makes the pork roast or whatever, you know, and you know I'm I'm gonna have to eat it, you know, and I and so I asked the question, why is that? And they said, well, I I don't want to offend, you know, my family, which sure, I mean none of us want to offend our family, <laughs> but but you know, and oh, it, they said I don't want to offend my family, and and I and I want to be you know a good witness, and I said. Well, wait a minute. What's a better witness? To be obedient to what God said or not? Because it gets back to, am I going to offend God or am I going to offend you? Know? And I'm not saying that it's easy. I mean, it's not easy. It's, it's hard to toe that line sometimes. And the first time you draw that line is going to determine how things go the next Yuletide season. Right. So, I mean, obviously... You know, there's got to be uh, you know much prayer and fasting in these kind of situations. But nevertheless, you know, I think it's the fundamental principle: is who are we going to offend, and what is the greater witness to actually be obedient to what God said, or to not be in 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 you know and call call yourself a witness by not being obedient, just so you don't ruffle somebody's feathers. So. Right, real quickly, it reminds me of the, the old thing about where you know you're over the target if you give a lot of flack. That's how you know you're right over the target is you're getting a lot of flack. It's a military. Yeah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. Totally. 
Love your uh, holster, buddy. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just seeing how we're on that topic of anti-Semitism. Verse 3 in the portion says, And you shall not kindle a fire. And um, really cool commentary on, on what they're talking about here. But the last part was, was very cool. Um, it says, Kindle a fire, which means you can enjoy its flame, and you can enjoy its heat. It's just the... They translated. They they were saying that you can't just you can't start a fire. So I can't light matches. Can't can't do things like that. And and it says that the Torah can only be understood by the oral law, which we they suppose that God gave Moses. What was he doing for forty days? But they said the deviant sects of Judaism have denied this teaching of the sages talking about kindling the fire. So they sit. Um, so they would sit in the dark throughout the Sabbath, just as they sat in spiritual darkness all their lives. So that was really cool. And it was verse 3 of the portion, and I think we were only on verse 1. <laughs> <laughs> so. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Keep us moving. Um, I, I've had a lot of folks ask me about the kindling of the fire thing. And uh, you know, can we use the heater and all that? That's a different, that's a different story. That's a different question. Kindling a fire. In my mind, the first thing, forget the 39 Malachot for a second, which I think is a valid conversation to have, no question. But just in its most basic form, why do you suppose those little pieces of wood are called kindling? Because that's how you start kindle or start a fire, exactly. So. Starting a fire, um, if you've ever gone out into the woods, is, uh, if you're from New York, is not really very, very easy to do. So. All right, other comments before we move on to verse 4? <laughs> just, just, yes, just one more thing. When we were in James 2, um, where, uh, that's where when they were giving the free will offering, that's what really spoke to me was the faith. He didn't want, I mean, I guess we haven't fully gotten there, but... The point is um, that that you cannot prove your faith without works. You cannot prove that you have faith without obedience. And you know, in James, uh, in James two sixteen, it says, "Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works." Sure. And so it, it's just uh, it, it's so clear. I guess it's just a little bit. What we do. Basically. Is more important than what we say, and it's and it's because they look at me and think that I'm I'm just trying to work out my salvation. I'm trying to earn my salvation. Those are two different things, right? Well, I, yes, I apologize. Trying to earn or w- earn, earn my salvation, and um, but it's that I'm proving my faith. Sure. Right. Or back to Ephesians. These are the the <laughs> these are the good deeds that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in. You bet. All right, so we have ten minutes to go through five chapters. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Um, before we get to the labor, um, verse four. Verse four. Moshe said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, "This is the thing that the Lord has commanded." You know, it really bothers. Me. When I hear somebody tell me that God told them this and that, or that God has commanded that and thus, 
such not and what not. But they can't show me where he said that. So I get very skeptical. And I'm a skeptical guy. I know. I recognize that. You know. But if you tell me that God told you to build a bridge, who am I to say he didn't tell you to build a bridge? Would you agree with that? Okay. If you tell me that God told you to build a bridge on the Sabbath, we have a little bit of a problem with that, I think, right? I mean, based on what we all just finished saying, is it possible that God is double-minded? Is unstable in all his ways? I mean, we're in James, right? Hey, come on. Work with me. So, how do you deal with these folks that tell you that God told them something? Yeah, so, but suppose God like, told you to eat unclean food. That never Wait, what are you talking about, Peter? Yeah. Are you talking about Peter? Well, you might be talking about Peter. You might be talking about Ezekiel. Oh. Oh. Ezekiel wasn't eating unclean food. He was going to cook it on top of. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's not being unclean, then. No. What's your question? What's your question, It's unsanitary. It's unsanitary, right. It's not. Okay, so Peter, are you talking about Peter, Peter? Yeah. Okay. Is that something that's for us? Yes. And what and what was Peter's response? The correct one. Peter's response was the correct one. That's that's right. so Chris, could you give everyone else that maybe hasn't read chapter ten of Acts a little bit of help? So he didn't eat said no He said no to whatever the voice was. To the bot call. To the to the voice. Okay. So I think that's just a little bit different than you telling me. God told you to but do. But it's similar in that people I have conversations with yes. will almost assume the, the position of Peter and say God God has told us to eat that food and because of that vision. Oh, because of the vision. So right. God didn't really tell them. He told Peter, right. and they ignored what Peter said the vision was all about twice. Right. And then what James said the vision was all about. You would think. You think they get it, but they didn't get it. So I, I, and I appreciate you bringing that up, son. So, back to my original question. If somebody, what? if somebody says, God told me to do something. Yes. You should do it. Unless the something violates what's written. And if it violates what's written, as it did with Peter, then what should the response be? I don't know God. who told you that, but it wasn't God. Does everybody well, hear you that? misunderstood what he said. Okay. I like the first response. That's, I mean, that was really southern and nice and sexy. But that's my point, though, which is like, sort of my point. Because if, whether it was God's voice or an angel's voice or anything, he did tell Peter not. He did tell Peter to eat the food. You know, to, to kill and eat. So it was a misinterpretation. He thought that was actually I don't I, I, I just want to make sure you and I are clear I think there's a great big difference between the voice of God or voice of let's just say the voice of God telling a man of God to do something deliberately against the word of God which doesn't very hap, very very much happen it's not because 
he said to God, no, I can't do that because you told me not to. That was his response to, evidently, God. And God used that as a lesson to say, your answer's right. So don't treat something unclean that I didn't call unclean. That, I think, is a little different than a guy walking up to me and saying, God told me to build a bridge over your swimming pool. <laughs> well, no, even if you told me to build a swimming pool, I think there's two different responses, and I'm trying to get, in our culture, the response. If you tell me God told you to build a bridge over my swimming pool, like Greg said, as long as it doesn't violate what he's already told us to do, drive on if you think God told you that. I don't know that God told you that, but evidently you do. Build the bridge. But if you want to build the bridge and he told you to build it on Shabbat, different issue. I'm not going to argue with God. You should have argued with God, Peter. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? Yes, sir. Well, what's interesting, you know, as you suggest, it's allegorical what happened, right? The animals right. come down. It's an allegory for the Romans that come to say, you know, that an angel visited a Roman soldier. But I think the same oh, thing... Oh, 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 oh. Did you just say that the vision was allegorical no, no. about the Romans? No, the vision was literal. But the sheep was allegorical because these were unclean. Those people were yeah, unclean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the idea. So it was making a mental transition in his mind. To change his behavior. Exactly. So Back I think to the, what the Word of God said. Exactly. Okay. So I think the same thing with the bridge. The bridge can be interpreted allegorically as well to make some sort of a theoretical construct Synthesis. of a connection over your pool. What do you mean? Oh, sure. whoa, 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 whoa. Before we get to what he means, let me see if I got what he said. So here's the difference between Okay, so I read this story and I say to myself, you know, Joe. God wants me to be obedient to exactly what he said in his word and not the traditions I've been taught. Would you agree that that would be a good interpretation of what happened to people? Sure. So it's a physical change from what I've been taught by man to rely only on what God taught. And then as soon as he comes to that conclusion... A knock at the door. A knock at the door, and it's an Italian guy. Right. And no pizza delivery. And that's right. <laughs> so he goes, and he gets it. He right? Does. He's like, okay, I'll come with you. And bam. I don't think Peter was supposed to come up with some type of allegorical understanding. It was to change his thoughts and behavior. It was a, it was a teaching right. moment. It was a teaching moment from God. Right, the teaching. But the Akeda is different. The uh, sacrifice yes. with Isaac. That was literal. That was literal. I was about, I was going there. Yeah. All right, but I'll stop. I'll but stop. it was a test. A Mivkan. It was, a, I mean, it was yeah. one of the ten tests of Abraham's faith. But God did say, hey, go, go, go sacrifice yourself. But son. I understand Abraham actually said to God, next time I'll use a pen for the test. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>
right, I'm out of time. It's, uh, it is that time. Is there anything else in this particular portion that you want to bring up? I've got two and a yawn. Two, go. It was mentioned earlier that the Egyptians were the ones who provided much of the material for the tabernacle, which is pretty amazing. So you have, in, in a sense, the nations providing for the dwelling place of God, which you then fast forward a little bit to the first temple, and it's the exact same thing. You have the nations bringing in their funds to build the house of God. Fast forward a little bit more, and you have, whether you want to call it the third temple, or the, just mix that. The one, Ezekiel's temple. One, well, not Herod's. that yet. But the one that was built after the exile was also built by the nations. And Herod's, which later became Herod's temple, he beautified. So right. every dwelling place of God was always provided for and funded by the nations. And we'll keep going. Fast forward to Ezekiel's temple. Ezekiel's temple as well. It's the same the thing. The Gentiles are going to build it. So then we have Paul going mm -hmm. around his missionary journeys throughout the Mediterranean, meeting with different cities in Macedonia and, and in Rome. And we see in several places in Paul's letters, for example, the end of 2 Corinthians and in Romans 15, where he talks about this fund that he's gathering from the people. And so, we, for example, you read in 2 Corinthians and He's talking to the Corinthians. Now, the Macedonians have provided richly. Even though they're poor, they have given well beyond their means. Likewise, it should be for you. So I'm writing this ahead of time so that when I come, you won't be embarrassed that I have to exact the funds from you, but that it was a gift. So in other words, either way, I'm getting funds. I'm getting money. And in the Romans, when he's getting ready to go back to Jerusalem, he said in the Romans 15, he, uh, he has two major prayer requests. One of them is that the contribution to Jerusalem may be received properly. And he seems very kind of, not uneasy about it, but he wants it to go well. So it seems that Paul as well picks up on the notion that the nations owe gratitude to Jerusalem by bringing in anything they can. In fact, that's what he says in Romans. They contributed to you spiritually, therefore you ought to contribute to them with your, at least your funds. And so Paul definitely understood that everybody owed Jerusalem their lives and at least their sustenance. And it makes me think, well, what are we doing with the same attitude? Do we have that similar gratitude for the physical Jerusalem? Not just the spiritual, theoretical Jerusalem of thank you, God, that you chose me and kind of in some ethereal way connected me to your people. At least by the painting. At least by the, yeah. <laughs> but physically we are bound to support that geographical location and the people thereof. And so it, it convicted me that, well, am I, do I have the same attitude of the, the prophets and of Moses and of Paul, or am I stingy? A good eye or not. Yes, um, So chapter 35, verse 25. Woo! We just jumped. Every, every wise-hearted woman spun with her hands, and they brought the spun yarn of turquoise, purple, and scarlet wool and linen, and all the women whose hearts inspired them with wisdom spun the goat hair. So, you know, it's talking about, you know, there was men and women that God moved to do certain things and participate in certain ways, but specifically, 
God moved on the hearts of certain women to get involved with uh, weaving the uh, fabric that was then fashioned into the the to the uh, veils and the curtains yeah, and so forth. Well. So there's an interesting uh, there's a there's a in the in the Talmud it talks about this and it says specifically I, I believe it was seventy two women that were that were appointed for this task. And these seventy two women had to be virgins. They had to be, you know, chaste and pure and all of that, uh, because of the sanctity of what they were doing. Um, and certain of this of this group of women, you know, a certain number of them would weave the the turquoise fabric and a certain number would weave the purple and the scarlet and whatever. And they would weave the fabric, bring it and then and then uh, um, Bezalel and Oholiab would then fashion it, embroider it, and make make the uh, you know the curtains and the veil from it. There's an interesting um, there's a there's a um, extra biblical writing called uh, called Post Evangelion close enough James. Uh, it was written second century, early third century, um, and it it records. Events of Yeshua's life and the early, you know, the disciples and the early believers, um, and in this particular work, there's an account that describes that when Herod, who did this huge makeover on the on Ezra's temple, right, um, when he did this huge facelift on the temple, that in honor of this tradition that's laid down here in this Torah portion. Uh, there were 72 uh, virgin women that were picked to weave the fabric that was used in the in Herod's temple. And according to this particular writing, Miriam, the mother of Yeshua, was one of the 72 that was picked to weave the purple fabric that was used in Herod's temple. Such a royal color. So, um, and she was picked presumably because of her chastity, her righteousness, etc. What's cool about that, you know, don't know if that's true or not, but, but regardless of whether it's true or not, what's cool about the concept is... Um, her mother taught her to weave. Well, her mother taught her to weave, right? <laughs> but uh, just like she was picked to weave the royal fabric to be used in the temple because of her chastity. So God also picked her to weave, as it were, Yeshua in her womb. And there's a, there's a, there's a scripture in the Psalms that talks about, I was weaved in my mother's womb. Okay. And what's interesting is, is we remember the incident in the Gospels where you know, Yeshua makes the controversial statement. He says, um, tear this temple down, referring to Herod's temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. We know, of course, from the text that he's referring to his body. So his body was likened to the temple. A dwelling place for Hashem. A dwelling place for Hashem. So just like Miriam was, uh, had the privilege and honor to weave the, fab, the purple fabric, royalty, so she also had the honor bestowed on her by Hashem to weave, to knit in her womb, as it were, 
the very king of kings, the very king of Israel, mm. um, uh, who what who is you know a, a he he was was and is a repository for the spirit of God, right? So that is a really cool drosh that comes out of this extra biblical writing from the second and, century. And so. if anybody wanted to point out that, that parallels to Proverbs thirty one, where it's, um, uh, purple and scarlet linen are, are, are clothing. Yeah. That's good thought. Oh, Very good job. Oh, yeah. All right, final comments on the labor? We got a labor question? We can wash up with that. Call it off. Let's save the labor. One thing that was really cool between the Haftarah and the Torah portion was the fact that those who were actually building in the temples and tabernacle were endowed with this special spirit. It says that about the guy who was doing it for Solomon's temple as well. Hiram. Which is really neat because if, yeah, like the temple is supposed to be us, then we see like what it takes in order for us to be to be built upon. And it reminded me of what Yeshua promises in John 14, where he says, you know, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And it was right before that that he also quotes that if you love me, you will keep my word. Mm. So it's all kind of tied together that we do the commandments and love God because of his love first for us. Amen. He's sent his helper to help yeah. us do that, you yeah. know, to build. Same story down through the ages. Same deal. Yeah. Right? It's always his work. And then he's calling, you know, he's, he's look out on the field. Right, because the laborers are few. Yeah, you know, and he wants those laborers. Good. Final comments. Jonathan, you've been amazingly quiet. Glad you're dressed in royal purple. That's good. <laughs> Did the basket go around? Yes. The, the prayers yes. happened here. Oh, wait, that was the offering basket. <laughs> <laughs> the, the offering basket. That's right. The gun. Yeah, the gun. That's that's ours. Anything else, Brian? God bless you. Good to have you here. Yeah. All right. We have, uh, I think, uh, your mother's birthday is on a Monday. Sunday night, the 16th of March, is the forum party at the uh, Spurlock's house. Come. Just as you are. <laughs> Let's just all sing. Just as I am. No. Um, yeah, you're one. It's at the Spurlock Seniors. Right, it is at the uh, Spurlock Seniors. It's at Rick and Janet's house. And uh, they'll be uh, coming out with a, uh, uh, an invitation soon. Janet's going down for the wedding for the Wright family in, uh, in Florida tomorrow. Uh, so that's Ashlyn and Zach. They're getting married. They'll be living down there, and of course Brock is down there with uh, his sister. And they're, yes, they're moving, uh, moving to Houston. That's exactly right. And then Larry and Alex and Krista are still trying to come here. Yes. Okay. Good. Good thing. And then sad news that we keep talking about when you're not here is that the other rights are actually moving to Texas. I have already put in a specific and special request that Jerry move on his own and leave. Uh, 
leave Melanie here, but that doesn't seem to, to work out. So I, I understand the timing is going to be May-ish. We're going to have Josh finish school. Have you been talking to Mel? Have you been talking to Mel? No, no, I'm just saying. May-ish. Josh finishes school. And then um, uh, Jacqueline is graduating or being graduated then, yes. So you're going to have to be up here for that anyway. What? Unless you're some kind of slave driver. for graduation. How many do you need to go to? So sometime, sometime after that, and the house has to sell, and we're praying against that now. So, <laughs> so maybe June-ish. But I want you to know now publicly that we want to have some kind of going away party, um, you know, where we can shower you with, you know, either funny or actually important gifts um, on your way out, and, and, and can pray for you and, and the ministry. Uh, that I'm hoping will just absolutely flourish and explode when you get there and you land with your kippa on and freak them all out in, so, uh, in the promised land. That's right. So, uh, we, will, we will get that on the calendar as soon as we get some better tweaking on their dates, but uh, be prepared. Um, you're probably going to want to stand up and read some type of ode to Jerry. Oh. Okay, on that night. So prepare now. I mean, I realize it could take months just to put something together like that. Yeah. So uh, we'll do that. Yes. Um, discussion on the Perm party and all that. Just reminded me of this. So obviously, 30 days after Perm, um, by definition, we will have Pesach. So uh, if there's anyone, uh, you know, Widows, orphans, single people, whatever that need a place to celebrate, um, be honored to have you at our house. So just let me know. But, um, same here, um, and that's that's a serious invitation. It's not just it's not just talk, okay? If you don't have a place to to, to, to celebrate and and share in the Pesach, call me, call Greg, call Scott, call somebody. Call anybody. You know, um, we 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 want everybody to have a place. Okay. Brian, if you're coming up. I was going to say, I'm going to have to buy another ticket. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's good. Thank you for that. Um, Shabbat Shekhalim is next week. And then about a week later, um, two weeks later, we start falling into those four special Shabbatot with uh, Parah, um, Zakor, Parah, Gadol, and all those guys leading up to uh, Pesach. Yes, just on that whole Pesach thing, also, you know, now it's time to start thinking about inventorying your chametz, right? <laughs> start consuming the chametz you have in your home. Stop buying chametz. You know. it, it, it really is important. Purim is that key date, right? Yeah. After Purim is when you want to start looking at not buying the chametz, right? You want to you want to now begin your consumption, so that uh, by the day before Pesach, you've got very little to toss. Okay, yes ma'am. It's just that we could have like um pray for Venezuela. Venezuelan people we're having a really yeah. good time right now. We're yeah. all praying for those people and it is uh, Ukraine. Yeah, it is it is really amazing as I open up my uh, my little news app on my uh, iPad. It, it seems that there's war and struggles going on just about everywhere, including here. Just about everywhere. You know, and I, and I I don't want to do that wars and rumors of wars, you know, and now we've got this big sun flare. And 2014, Joshua's not here. 
2014. I'm coming up. This Pesach, we've got the very first of the Blood Moon Tetrad. This Pesach, this Sukkot, next Pesach, next Sukkot, that's four in a row. You know, anytime that happens, something happens to Israel or something happens with Israel. So, and the Hebrew course. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, this is roughly the middle of February. And, and next week is March 1st. And there you go. Next week is March 1st. Yes. February is a short month. It's really, you know, time for me to share this with your mother. So, <laughs> so what we're looking at is doing the uh, doing the, the Hebrew class here on the first and third Shabbatot of the month. And I'm I'm just delaying talking to to my wife about this. In the hopes that somebody is going to step up and say, no, 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 you don't have to have it at your house. Have it at our house because you get the second and the fourth. But until that happens, <laughs> you pray for grace in my life. So what we're looking at right now generically is you wake up a little late on Shabbat. Safari style. Safari style, up style, you know, that's really the state of it. And you have a gentle, slow, blessed start to your Shabbat. And then you have prayers and lunch. And after you've eaten your fill, you do, you do, and you're satisfied, you do the birkat at your house, and then you drive here. We have Hebrew class, and then you go home. <laughs> and you take a little Shabbat schnooze at home. And then you have Havdalah at home. That's, that's what we're looking at right now. And we will amend and adjust as we see fit. Now, my wife may sleep through all of that. She may, she may decide to sit up at a pool. Is her name on the list? She, um, I, I put her name on the list, but... <laughs> I think it is. So, um, this is not a problem. We are given the hospitality, and... Um, and Peter and Mary are still living with me so they can help me clean up. It's all his problem. So, yeah, Wayne's going to do that, and um, and uh, you need to pray for Wayne. So we just lose that whole Ashkenazi twist, you know, as we walk into the class. <laughs> and, and also, uh, there's a list there, so if you want to attend, this shall have enough books for everybody. Put your names on there. Papers up there, and Jerry, you're willing to... I mean, we can refund anything that you don't use before you go. I think that, should I hope? No, it won't be. It'll be an empty house, but you can. <laughs> With a realtor come out and you come in. <laughs> Is there something about uh, Hebrew classes as well as taking a shower? Yeah. That's against the law. <laughs> we are going to have the camera going during class. So I need to make sure you understand Having the Hebrew class with everyone here and participating and encouraging is not the same as Wayne standing here looking at me on the couch and 47 people on the camera. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Yeah. So, I'll, Time to go to California. Yeah, that's right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on a soapbox just for a minute. Here we go. Um, I would really, I, I would encourage um, 
anyone, really all of us, who uh, who uh, either can't read Hebrew yet, right, um, or uh, are intimidated by that, uh, you really should be in this class. Because if we are practicing Messianic Judaism, uh, one of the things that will limit um, our ability as a community is if we don't all get at least, we, I'm not saying we all have to be, you know, you know, Hebrew scholars and, and we don't all have to be able to be fluent and all of that. But I think if you are, if you're part of this community and God has kind of put the same vision and values in your heart as he has many others here, then you should have a desire to learn the holy tongue. That's exactly right. And so you need to put some feet to that faith, and you need to have your butts in the class. Amen. So I'm off the I'm off so, so Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. Quite frankly, there's only one people group in the entire world, in all of recorded history, that have been dispersed throughout the planet and have actually maintained their language. Only one. I don't think it has a whole lot to do with the people. It has to do with the one... So if it doesn't, if you miss a class for some reason, you'd be able to watch it. It would be, it's going to be taped, recorded. Um, yeah, if you miss a class, we'll make fun of you. Um, but in Hebrew, it may take until week thirty-six before you realize what we said about you. But no, if you can't make class, um, maybe you're sick and you and you just can't come. You can watch online. You can. Okay. And if you are literally, you're, you're out of town, right? You've got to work or whatever the case might be. Well, you can't be working in the Shabbat. Right. So, right, if you're out of town or something like that, and maybe you're in a different time zone, and you, I mean, the time-wise, you just can't watch it live, then uh, if you need, we can, we'll, you'll be able to go back up to seven days and see it. And that's how we're going to do that. It's not my plan to record these, edit them out, make them sound cool, put them up. I'm, yeah, I'm a little busy. So it's going to be there. It'll be live, and it'll be available if you want for up to seven days. If you want it after the fact, not live, you got to email me so I can give you a link to the camera to get in there. Okay. okay. And you know, just an idea. Maybe you know someone couldn't do it second and third. Maybe people could switch. Everybody take a turn. You know, have it at their house, which would like take alleviate someone to have that commitment. You know, I appreciate that very much, and uh, and it's very kind of you. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dissuade us from doing that, okay. and it's the same reason. I, mean, I think it's great that we want to share. That's God bless you. But my intent from the beginning with this community is, people don't come unless they know exactly where to go. Mm-hmm. And if there is, you got to look up somewhere and see. And now you drove to the wrong house because it's the week on. Oh, it's the fifth week. It's in this room on the second and the fourth Shabbat. We never move. We're right here. That kind of deal. Parties are a different thing. And this, if we started here, we're going to end it here, or we'll just and go. Okay, we're going to be at Lynn's house for the rest of the time. You know what? What time? After lunch is as close as we've gotten to a specific time right now. Well, now here's here's one of my favorite families. Andrea is going to eat lunch at noon. You know how Andrea is. I mean, she's, I mean, it's going to take an hour, right? So she doesn't get done to one. But then he's got to drive an hour to get here. So we're probably looking at about two 
Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That kind of deal. So two to three, three thirty, something like that. Then you head home, you lie down, you get up, you have a little meal, I mean, it'd be great if we could meet somewhere more central to all of us, but there's no such thing as more central to all of us. Quite frankly, it doesn't exist. All right? All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's see. Jerry Wright. Yes. Why don't you stand up and pray for us? You got it. Father God, we bless you and praise you, Lord. Mm. We just thank you for this time that we have gathered as a community to read your word. Yes, sir. And uh, Father, we just pray that when we are asked questions, that we are equipped with that word. Mm. And Lord, that we are uh, ready to share. And uh, we just thank you for uh, all that you give us every day in our lives and the uh, passion and the, and the mercy and the love. And uh, just be with each of us as we go out uh, from this place. And just maybe be a good testimony for you. And Yeshua Messiah's holy name, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. God bless you.